Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. This is an election year. Will Donald Trump be re-elected? What is going on with the Democrats? And has America gone even more crazy? We'll be discussing all of these things and more, more than once a week, because we don't feel you have enough Americano in your life. And I have a special offer for Americano listeners. If you want to subscribe to the Spectator's US edition, which is brilliant, by the way, I edit it, you can go to www.spectator.us forward slash subscribe and take advantage of our special Americano offer. If you insert the code Americano in capital letters like Donald Trump on Twitter, you will get 5% off. Please do so. I'm joined today by Dave Beigel, who covers politics for The Washington Post. And we're going to be asking who will be Joe Biden's vice presidential pick. Now, Dave, it's quite hard to think about any political stories at the moment with all the coronavirus crisis and the madness around it. But I do think this is probably one of the most important political questions of the moment, which is not perhaps being asked as much as one would normally expect it to be asked at this time in a presidential election cycle, chiefly because Joe Biden is 77. He'll be 78 by the time he enters the Oval Office if he wins the election in November. And as he himself has conceded, there's pretty good chance he won't make it. So therefore, the next vice president, the next Democratic vice president, if Biden wins, is very likely to be president. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, that's fair. That's that's something grim that we've not talked a lot about. Both, well, if he's reelected, uh, and then both of the Democrats who've been running for president, Biden and Sanders, all of them would be the oldest person ever to hold the office. I mean, every day Trump's in office, he's the oldest person to hold that office. And the president has taken a much more front forward-facing macho approach to this. He's taken the 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 virus test. He's, he's the picture of health. He has a a doctor writing notes for him saying that no one's ever been healthier. Biden's been a bit more honest. And Biden's somebody who uh, years and years ago had an aneurysm and he's had some health issue, only that health issue in the past, nothing else. Bernie Sanders had a heart attack for both of them. They were going to confront this reality that a president who turns 80 years old in office is just actuarially at more risk of the vice president taking over. And that has affected things very early on in this campaign. Biden allies were suggesting Stacey Abrams, who ran for governor of Georgia, who is the leader of the Democrats legislature there as a running mate. I think in a world where there was a sense that the vice president would serve for a term or two terms and run on their own, that might be an easier sell than a world where people think, well, I'm voting for Joe Biden, but um, come 2022, somebody else might be president. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about Stacey Abrams. I mean, I, I see that she ticks some boxes and I see that Biden sort of hinted at it a bit recently in Georgia, I think, was it yesterday? But, I mean, she doesn't have a lot of achievements to her name that I can that I can think of. No, I mean, she has not been elected because she lost that. She lost her one high-profile election. So she doesn't have that going for her. There are Democratic women with more experience. There's, for example, the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, who's, who's white. Her lieutenant governor's black, and he would take over the state if she, if she were to resign and join Biden's campaign. There are, as the governor of New Mexico, Michelle Lujan Grisham, that basically there are female governors who have shown, I think, a lot of resilience in this in this moment, giving them some credit and also giving the public some credit in how they've assessed people. And polling governors have been seen as much more effective in this crisis than than the president has. Uh, the Monmouth poll today was, or Monmouth poll yesterday, I should say, was 70 plus percent 
support for governors, 50% for the president. Now, there are women who have bigger names than Gretchen Whitmer, like Kamala Harris, who, even though she lost her presidential campaign and dropped out before the voting started, still has a lot of allies in, in Congress, is a good TV performer, has, has her bad moments, and that's usually people focus on. Had, I think, one bad debate and a couple of good ones. But Kamala Harris is very much in the mix, as somebody mentioned. And there are some other names who get thrown in that I don't think make a ton of sense. I think while he was campaigning in New Hampshire, Biden suggested that Gene Shaheen, the for, the current senator who's up for re-election this year, could be his running mate. That doesn't yeah. actually make sense. She's she's 73 years old. She'd be replaced by a Republican. I, I think that was kind of kind. Really, we're talking about a small group of women in Congress who might be in the mix. And Abrams, has she has not won an election. She did run ran Democrats in the Georgia legislature. I think if she had won that race, she'd, the conversation might be pretty uninteresting. She, she might be assumed to be the running mate. The fact that she's still in there, I think, is this vote of confidence in her ability and some notes of concern about Biden's ability to carry it on. Carry on, I think, a, a compelling message. I mean, in the last few days, he has set up this this office in his house, which he said he was going to set up. He's done more TV, but he, as he has throughout his career, yeah. uh, as has gotten a bit worse in his 70s, still sometimes trips over his words, you know, will reverse a sentence, the meaning of a sentence. I mean, it's it's less like Trump and more like what people would, uh, the old mayor of Chicago, Richard Daly, used to used to be like, where his, his advisors would say, well, you know, you, know, you can write down what the mayor meant to say, not what he said. Uh, that, is, that is a Biden position. So any any of the women, and it's all women. I mean, he's already ruled out picking a man. Any of the women, I mean, it's it's both youth, some experience, and then a question of whether they can carry through, even when he has a bad a bad week, a bad debate, or something like that. So he's he's ruled out picking a man, but uh, most of the speculation is that it will be a, a black woman. Do you think, for sheer cynical political reasons, do you think he necessarily has to do that because? It looks from the primaries as though he's he's got the black vote fairly mobilized. Yeah, uh, but the very direct comparison is 2016 when Hillary Clinton did as well, in some cases better with black voters. I mean, sometimes her margin was smaller than Biden simply because there was scatter for other candidates. Bernie Sanders getting between, you know, 10 percent and 25 percent of the black vote. Biden's getting majority. The black vote did not turn out in numbers for Hillary Clinton that it did for Barack Obama. And Biden himself sometimes gets a little bit hubristic about his appeal, his ability to win votes in a way that I think people around him are not. They have an appreciation that things came together for them in a very lucky way and they had to build up fast. But I think people around him are less invested in the notion that he himself could turn out black voters at the rate that Barack Obama did. He would be in a better position with a black woman on that. And and even Kamala Harris, who did not go to the voters, uh, who had a lot of, I think, uh, intellectual left-wing opposition from black leaders still has only only won statewide elections in California, only increased their margin of black voters would. I mean, there's there's kind of a moment people have when they realize they could make history. It didn't really work for Hillary Clinton, but it did for Barack Obama, where suddenly people say, all right, if I'm staying home, I'm chucking away the chance to elect the first black president, the first female president, the first African-American woman to, to this high of an office. At the same time, Biden's also promised, this got, I think, some attention in the South Carolina debate, but not a ton, to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. That'd be the first. I mean, he, there, there are only two people, period, in the history of the Supreme Court on it, Thurgood Marshall and Clarence Thomas, never a black woman nominated. So he's shown, I think, not just a willingness, but a awareness of how making those sorts of pledges gets people 
interested, gets people active. And it's interesting, especially from him, because he was there when Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court in the hopes of Republicans seeing somebody kind of moderate and unthreatening and deciding if they could go along with it. When a lot of people on the left were arguing Obama should nominate a black woman, a Asian American candidate, somebody who would get voters excited in a way that puts pressure on Republicans. I think Biden has learned you need to get people excited and his staff more than him, but sometimes him are aware that he is not enough on, on his own to get people fired up. Let's talk a bit about Barack Obama, because he seems to, as far as I've been able to understand, he seems to have played quite a crucial part in saving the Biden campaign. I mean, it looked pretty hopeless for Biden not so long ago. And then after South Carolina, there was this huge sort of change around. And uh, a lot of speculation has been that Obama put in crucial calls to various people and got them to endorse Biden and basically sort of rallied the party behind Biden. Is that true or is that just what people are saying? It is not wrong. I haven't confirmed a ton of that independently. He has had those conversations with Candace throughout the year. I mean, he's he's been willing to offer advice to people. The one area in which I get kind of hard on the Sanders campaign is they've, and their pollster has even said this, uh, suggested that no one had ever had to deal with a situation like everybody dropping out and endorsing one candidate which to me indicated they had no plan in case this got down to a one-on-one race. And most primaries become one-on-one races. It's not that unprecedented. Obama only weighed in behind the scenes, and again, behind the scenes, not by endorsing Biden, only after Biden had proven his ability to win South Carolina by landslide, to win black voters by landslide. It became clear, and polling was pretty clear too, that Mike Bloomberg was faltering. Biden was the top contender against Bernie Sanders in Super Tuesday states. But I mean, voters moved more than Obama. And I could put it this way. I don't think many people went to the polls on Super Tuesday aware that Barack Obama had a role in anything. They didn't hear from him. He wasn't saying anything. He wasn't tweeting anything. He wasn't releasing a video. He did not say the words, I endorse Joe Biden. Frankly, both Mike Bloomberg and Bernie Sanders were by that point putting out TV ads that showed Obama and Sanders together. Or Obama and Bloomberg together. So polling was done on this. It was unclear to people who Barack Obama had endorsed. I mean, this is a a thing about the Sanders people. Sometimes they talk about overwhelming the old political class and a political revolution, et cetera, et cetera. I don't mean to demean that, but they do seem to be (laughs) overly surprised when somebody uses fairly conventional political tactics. And it's hard to win a revolution if if you're not ready for a situation like people endorsed my opponent. Yeah. I suppose the other part of the Obama-Biden equation is that Biden is very much a restoration man in the sense that he looks to promise to restore government as it was in the pre-Trump era. And this Mm -hmm. would make it very much an Obama-like administration. A Biden administration would look a lot like a Biden administration, we think. Does that mean that Obama may have some influence over who he chooses Mm -hmm. as a vice president? Oh, he'll be one of the people who was consulted. Obama had praise for a number of the people who were running for president at various points in their career, some of it off the, off the record, some of it spoken. He had praised Kamala Harris's talent. He had praised Pete Buttigieg. But again, Buttigieg is probably off that list. I think Buttigieg has even said that there should be a female vice president, not someone like him. So he has already, I think, given a notice to who he thinks would be good for the party. He's praised Stacey Abrams like everyone else has. But he's not putting the same kind of shoulder into this that other presidents have in similar positions, frankly. It's kind of traditional. I mean, when, when George H.W. Bush was running and Ronald Reagan was president, when 
Al Gore was running and Bill Clinton was president, they both made decisions intended to show their independence, their own brand as political leaders. And you're right, this is a different situation where the Biden pitch is pretty expressly, and I think even more so since the pandemic began, remember when you weren't worried about everything all the time. Remember when there was a nice president, Barack Obama, and I was there with him, who kept things at least kind of orderly. That is the press of the Biden campaign. And I think for that reason, he would listen to Barack Obama if he has advice, at least advice on a please don't pick this person. When he's spoken out in public about it, it's just kind of words that are spoken, but not terribly useful. I mean, Barack Obama knew that if, if Biden was in the Oval Office, he wasn't going to be intimidated because he had that much experience. And frankly, there's just not a female politician in America who has, as Biden did, 36 years of Senate experience or 36 years of Washington experience. It's going to be somebody with a shorter resume than that. I think, and I just think Obama could play a role in saying what he knows about these people or what could sell. But he's been a fairly hands-off former president. I mean, even though he's sometimes criticized Donald Trump, he has not thrown himself into these debates week to week or these analyses of the party. He's even given some mixed messages. I mean, he said in 2018, rally that some candidates had good new ideas like Medicare for All. And then he has come out since then, again, kind of cryptically, not naming names, in 2018 saying that the party didn't, didn't need to move too far to the left. So he's given these very cryptic hints, but the upshot is that he, like most presidents, I'm not sure who the exception would be here, maybe Herbert Hoover, looks back at the presidency and thinks they did a good job. Wouldn't the country be in good shape if that model of governing kept coming back? Well, let's talk a little bit about the Obama-Biden relationship, because it's sort of the public perception is that it's pretty good. They got on fairly well over eight years, but there are quite intriguing stories and whispers that they never really got on that well. And that in fact, Obama found Biden and his sort of goofiness or, or tendency to gaff quite infuriating. Even though like Trump has, has a way of like blundering his way through sentences and his, he doesn't have the sort of hesitation, um and ah uh, rhetorical problem. He sometimes just rushes through sentences, don't make a ton of sense. Even though people might've thought that flattens out some of the differences between Biden and Trump. What is happening at the moment is that the Trump campaign emphasized when Biden slips up and supporters of Bernie Sanders, who's pretty hopelessly far behind Biden in the delegate count, who still want him to be the nominee. So they'll emphasize when Biden slips up too. I, mm-hmm. I kind of think that it's going to keep on happening. And the same thing happened with Hillary Clinton. There's just there's a class of younger, mostly left-wing activists who have no interest in the Democratic Party. I don't think I don't think it'd be very different if Kamala Harris the nominee, if Warren was the nominee, where they're kind of happy for these people to falter and fail, then maybe have a have, try another election in a few years. And so that that's been hurtful to Biden, I think, that there is bipartisan almost interest in emphasizing when he screws something up. And so if if we look at the, the, the sort of main names most mooted, obviously the Stacey Abrams, Kamala Harris, people are talking about Amy Klobuchar a lot, which she's obviously not black, but she also did drop out quite obediently. Do you think there's any chance that there was a sort of deal struck between Klobuchar and Biden? Not a deal struck, no. And And Klobuchar has, she's an interesting figure in this debate because there are some Democrats, I'm not sure if Obama's among them, that believe Hillary Clinton made an error when she picked Tim Kaine as a running mate. It's somebody that I think every everybody who was voting agreed had the experience to be president if something happened to her. But there wasn't really a worry that something would happen to Hillary Clinton. There are some 
you know, online speculation about her health. And she had pneumonia and fainted at one point in the campaign. But there was never a narrative. Is she too old for this job? She was running against a man who was older, Donald Trump. So on paper, Biden is even more positioned to pick a nominee who could continue the government, a uh, vice president nominee who could continue the government like Klobuchar. The problem and the mistake that some people point to with Kane is that he was a you know well-meaning moderate Democrat who absolutely did nothing to win over the people who voted against Hillary in the primary. And that would be the issue with Klobuchar. There's really the overlap between Bernie Sanders voters and Klobuchar supporters is nil. She, I mean, just even rhetorically as a politician is kind of replacement level, a lot of emphasis on her ability to tell jokes. And some people would notice by the end of the campaign, it was the same jokes again and again. Um, so, I mean, really the best performer on the stump of all these Democrats who were running, it was, a, it was, it was Buttigieg and it was Elizabeth Warren in terms of responding quickly to things, giving exciting speeches, winning a room over. Kamala Harris blew pretty hot and cold. Klobuchar was kind of comfortable, but again, that, that'd be a ticket of two Democrats whose response to younger voters and to left-wing voters is, guys, chill, you can't have it all. And both of them, that combination for somebody who's on the fence about bothering to vote for this ticket or bothering to go become a canvasser, they just, she would not fire up as many people as a more progressive nominee. The question becomes, the Biden coalition is kind of interesting because he's been winning primaries with these suburban voters who've climbed into the Democratic Party since 2016. They're perfectly happy with Klobuchar. If they think that there is a majority to win with her and they don't need to go for a liberal nominee, they might. But that is the problem. She just doesn't bridge and, uh, with any of the voters that don't like Biden. Whereas despite some of her criticism, Kamala Harris, who's endorsed a lot of liberal legislation, would. Even Kirsten Gillibrand, who has endorsed a lot of, and is not much of the conversation, even she would. That Gretchen Whitmer was neutral in the primary, was not out there criticizing Bernie Sanders. But yeah, Klobuchar is in the mix. I don't, I don't think there was any kind of deal. And it wouldn't have made sense at that time because there were three people endorsed Biden in the space of a couple hours. What, what about, uh, I mean, Biden doesn't seem to be doing very well with Hispanic voters. I've seen a couple of names mooted for who could be a Hispanic vice presidential pick. Do you think there's a, mm -hmm. any of them have a chance? Well, so no one who fits that bill is very well known at the moment. I mentioned Michelle Luan Grisham, the governor of New Mexico. This is, I guess, as, as we're just kind of riffing, <laughs> one issue with her is that she's she's on the short side. She's around five, five foot one, five foot two. <laughs> and <laughs> that's something that the, the president obsesses over. I mean, but she's, I guess there's a television image, like the show Madam Secretary or movies of what the first female vice president looks like. And she's been a very effective governor, but but I guess the made-for-TV image is not there. More of the made-for-TV image is Catherine Masto, the senator from Nevada, who is the first female Latino elected to the Senate, speaks some Spanish, but I think is, is seen as Latino in the way that Ted Cruz was, and that it was not a big defining part of her political character as, as she rose through politics, but has become more of one. She's currently in charge of the Democrats' uh, campaign committee to win the Senate back, and she also is in a state where a Democrat would appoint her replacement, Governor Steve Sisolak, from a pretty deep Democratic bench. So I think for that reason, she's going to be in the mix a bit more. She's somebody you've not heard a ton from because she's just not fronting any of the pandemic issues. But I think if if they decide the way to make a historic impression is Biden plus a Latino Democrat, there's really two options way at the top. And then if, if you go look for another Latina Somewhere in democratic politics, you kind of have to go to the House. Not unheard of. I mean, Biden is, the, again, it's, it's a kind of a paradox. He's both 
has the experience where there's not really a question of whether he needs gravitas on the ticket, but then he's old enough that people might think, is this person he picks as VP ready to run the whole government? Yeah. And I think it'd be a little bit tough for e- either of them to fit past that test, but it's tough for anyone who's not winning the nomination to pass that test. If, let's say, his campaign is flagging at about the time he needs to make the decision and he feels he really needs to re-energize the old Obama coalition, do you think it's feasible that he could try Michelle Obama? She has no interest in it and has ruled it out many times. I mean, I think there's points in the campaign where she could have leapt in and become president, or, or yeah. at least the Democratic nominee, then a favorite for president herself, and she didn't take it. So I think that's something that will excite a lot of people, in, not even in Washington, more in sort of the political uh, junkie sphere, but it's just, it's just not going to happen. I mean, it's kind of like the years in which people would speculate, well, Republican X could solve other problems if they added Condoleezza Rice to the ticket. Well, Dave, we'll leave it there, but thank you very much, and I hope you'll join us again soon. Yes, hopefully uh, in public, two metres between us, yeah. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Americano. And I'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback, positive comments or constructive comments only, please, to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite.